Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. We are quickly approaching the end of the year 2022. It is amazing how fast it's gone. There's been uh, so much cool stuff that happened in 2022. I will probably give a personal recap in terms of what my collection, what happened with my collection, things I did, things I enjoyed, all that good stuff over on my regular channel baseball collector but on youtube but uh today i want to really specifically look at the vintage market because i think 2022 was an interesting year for vintage and i think 2023 we'll do some speculating we'll do some thought-provoking you know discussion and to do that i brought in my most thought-provoking friend and that is Mr. Danny Black from Sports Bolt Radio. Uh, Danny, welcome to the show. Welcome. I assume that you're having somebody else on by that introduction. Well, I always over embellish on introducing any guest because I really want them, my audience, to leave disappointed. Uh, that's always the goal. Every show is for everybody to go, God, what a just train wreck. No. Uh, glad to have you. Honestly, that, that that's my pitch. I'm your guy. To make it a train wreck? Oh, yeah. We'll go right off the rails right now. So we can we can start there. We're going, goal, every show. I, I want to talk to you tonight about vintage, I hear, but you're wearing Texas Ranger stuff. So They're pseudo vintage. Um, I think we they're not the, whole, the Orioles, you know. I'm sorry. We have a whole Jeff Burroughs segment later, I think you told me. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, at about the... <laughs> 58 minute mark <laughs> luckily this podcast will only go about 57 minutes so you guys don't have to worry about that no seriously we uh what the reason i wanted to have you on danny to talk about this is because i know that you do uh, a lot of consulting with other people about sports cards they may or may not want to purchase as a long-term alternative i know let's not get into the whole using the i word around here but Vintage is kind of where you've been directing clients as you do consulting. Uh, is that true? Yes. And just so we, we, we don't have to fear the I word, a lot of my clients are collectors who just want a little help and direction. So uh, not everything is an investment. Uh, this is collectors and investors. But yeah, no, I definitely help consult. And uh, this has been a very exciting last couple of months uh, to, to be buying. Why do you think that is? I think right now people are selling like crazy uh, prices on vintage. Um, 
are, are down not as much as the rest of the market. So cash is king right now. If you have liquidity, the buying opportunities are, are just out there. And not only out there, they're out there for good cards, cards that uh, other people probably just need to, to liquidate and get out of. And so you're seeing some stuff that maybe you don't normally see. You're seeing prices maybe you haven't seen in a while. Um, there, there's one specific client who bought a card, uh, I think, two, three months ago. Um, that card's already down 15%. And, and I think it's, you know, a, a good long-term buy. So it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but I, I think now, it, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. It, if you have cash um, and you want cards, now's a great time. So as we went through 2022, would you say, if I was to say up, down, or indifferent, which direction would you say the vintage market went in 2022 compared to 2021? Compared to 2021, I think it had a lot of new entrants. I think 2021, the hobby had a lot of new entrants. And I've heard you say it. I've said it. Um, I, I believe vintage is kind of the graduation in cards. It's kind of your, your 200 level, 300 level course in collecting. So a lot of people who came in in 2021 have now in 2022 started to move into vintage. And I think that'll continue into 2023. So you are having more people come into the space. At the same time, a lot of people that have been in the space, I, I think, have been on a roller coaster where their prices, you know, were in 2017, 2018, you know, to 2021 and now back to 2022. And what's interesting is 2022 is still up over 2017, 2018, but it feels like it's down because of 2021. So the people that can afford to ride that out, um, the, the, the error still is pointing up. Um, but you know, people are scared. Um, there's, there's macro national issues that scare people. There are, I think, local card issues that, you know, and grading company concerns and, and all sorts of stuff that I also see a lot of people just scared to, um, buy. So uh, the people who are buying are, are rare and, and getting good deals because of it. Yeah. I posing to myself the same question. It's, it's weird. I don't look at the whole market. Like people think I, I'm following, I get asked all the time, what do you, what's a good price on this card? I'm like, man, if I already have it, I'm not looking, you know? And so the reality is I don't just follow the market and what's happening, not even day to day or week to week, not even month to month with one exception. And that's that, uh, John, uh, Wade Boggs fan and I are doing a thing called the vintage 100 index. And so we're tracking 100 classic, great vintage cards, lots of hall of fame rookies, you know, important second years, etc. And that market in 2022 has been pretty flat. In fact, yep. from January to November, which is our last data, it's only down like 3%. Now, in all fairness, that's not every card, right? That's the average of a hundred cards, but that, and it's only a hundred cards and it's only in a certain grade. But any index is going to be like that. You know, there's only going to be a finite amount and you're still making a judgment based upon your sample size. And in a financial market, you know, better than anybody. That's a flat line in 2022 was much better than a lot of things. That's absolutely true. Um, there are certain cards that are down big, but I think 2022 was kind of a, exhale year you know uh after in vintage anyway the 
trend wasn't straight up like it was, you know, during COVID for modern and ultra modern. It was it was a slow burn there, and it and it was certainly going up slowly. Then in 2021, March 2021, you saw this huge spike in prices. February, March, April beginning to die down, and then things settled at a new normal, higher than the new normal before. Um, a trend line in vintage is very boring, and that's a good thing. That's what you know most of us want. But the reality is, do I think the vintage market is more popular? Yes. 2022 versus 2021. I think more and more people are coming into the space, as you said, and getting into vintage and finally going, okay, enough of this crazy ultra modern, you know, nutso stuff. I'm going to do something that I, or invent, you know, buy cards that I just think are just classic. If that makes that, that's the word I love to use is classic. Can I go sappy on you? Sure classic to me in cards and especially baseball cards is emotional there's a tie-in that, that means more to me um personally and, and not to offend anybody than bowl bowl um and, and and so for me to collect and to continue collecting and not worry about you know maybe you know a true flip or investment um then i'd rather have the history the stories um, the Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame players um, in general, just as a fan. And I think a lot of people who are collecting or trying to get into cards right now, those that's what they want. They want stuff to to be proud of, to pass down to their kids. And, and a lot of times that's not going to be a current player. That's going to be somebody we grew up idolizing. Yeah. And maybe not even watching play, which is true sure. for me a lot but it's the stories, it's the legends, it's the, all of that stuff plays into it. Um, so I would say the popularity of vintage grew in 2022. Uh, more and more people were getting in the space. And what's I think also attractive about the space, especially once you start in on it, it can be intimidating to kind of get going because you don't really know which direction to go. But once you're in it, there are so many different ways to collect vintage whether it's teams or players or, or sets or eras or home run hitters or you name it, Vintage provides an almost endless number of possibilities and directions to take a collection and to focus, um, which I, I think is attractive to collectors. If, if you just want to own great cards, that's good. That's a good thing to have is options. Well, when you have history on your side, quote unquote common cards become more fun um and, and and i don't know on modern players who we look at as low caliber players that we get a an emotional reaction if we pull their card but if you go back you know and, and i'm building the 57 top set and i pull out any card i don't even have to know the player i'll research it i'll read the back and that card is much more fun to me and so um, i think there is part of that and I think, you know, it's it's silly stuff. Um, Ken Burns um, has taught a lot of people and a lot of fathers have shown a lot of their kids uh, the history of the game. Um, whether or not you agree, Joe Posnanski's book on the top 100 players, um, there have been things out there that constantly are constantly challenging our view of the history of baseball. So what do we do when we learn something new? What do we do, you know, when we find something cool, like Hall of Fame autographs or whatever it may be? Um, it really resonates differently. If I were to collect 
this year's Orioles said, you know, maybe I'm excited by the prospects. The Orioles have great young players and, and there's a lot of enthusiasm and that would be a cool thing to do. It hits me in a whole different way. Um, it hits me um, financially. Um, and I'll start there as a fun project, risky, high risk tolerance type of uh, purchase. But um, also as a fan, it, it, it's looking and hoping in the future. And there's a chance I'm going to be disappointed vintage i kind of feel like i know the end of the story already and i can enjoy that story and, and the whole time i have the card and not worry about it changing if that makes sense yeah absolutely let me ask you this because i'm curious from your perspective which is different than mine and that's good because i want a different perspective on this aspect of a vintage in 2022 as you were searching for cards for different clients that were wanting to buy vintage stuff what players did you find most asked about or most intriguing or did you what kind of deals did you get what you know what's popular what's important to you well the really cool thing is and i've been calling um the last five years of modern cards i call it the junk parallel era where it's kind of this manufactured artificial population of, of low prints and parallels vintage to me is true population control you know, there, there just are no more. Whatever it is, you know, you're going to dig out a couple every so often to add to the population report, but it, it's pretty much set. So I have found a lot of people are really turned on by, by a natural low population. Um, now, obviously, you, you, don't, you don't want your, your third string catcher, um, you know, unless it's Mo Berg. Um, it, it, but you do want your Mount Rushmore guys. And then you know, what I always tell people in vintage is there's not a bad purchase if you're getting the right player and then you can always upgrade. It doesn't matter what your entry point is financially. So, uh, you know, I, I Jackie Robinson um, ha, has taken off, um, I think, in the last, I'll even say three to four years um, more than I think his cards moved probably in 10 to 20 years before that. Um, and then you've got the the the, the go to of the hobby, you know, Mickey Mantle's kind of our Jerry West uh, logo uh, card. Any Mickey Mantle card is going to carry, uh, I don't want to say disproportionate, but disproportionate value to other players. Um, but he sells like crazy. He, he's very liquid. Um, so a lot of people are attracted to Mantle cards. Willie Mays is the one that um, I think is kind of a sleeper. I actually just helped. Um, a client get a 51 Bowman maze. And to me, that's a great card that, 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 that's a low population. It's a true rookie. It's a, it's a hall of famer and you get to enjoy it, you know, while, while Willie's still with us, um, which is really cool for, you know, the greatest living player to be able to get that card. Um, but in general, that that's, you, you know, people want the best they can get and the best they can afford. Um, and so for condition and for grading, that can almost be secondary in vintage, which is really nice. You don't have to have a PSA 10 to enjoy your card. Um, and so I have also had clients that have said, I'm totally cool getting it raw and just getting whatever grade I get um, and getting you know a good price. But I want to have Roberto Clemente. Um, and Clemente was another one that, that exploded this past year, I think, um, more so. And so when they want to get into these specific guys, you do have a little bit more freedom in vintage. You know, you, you have, I think, two grading companies that give you a little bit of flexibility. And if you're a person that doesn't have a large collection and you're zeroing in on specific cards, 
you go to that short list and you go to that small room in the Hall of Fame. And you and I have talked about this, the big hall or small hall. We all know there's a kind of that 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 inner sanctum, that inner room. And those are the players people want. Yeah, you mentioned it doesn't matter what grade it is for it to be cool. It also really doesn't. It can still be valuable in a lower grade and vintage versus PSA or 10 or nothing, you know, in the ultra modern and modern market. Vintage is so not that way. And so, again, another, I think, attractive thing is being able to buy along the, you know, dollar amount spectrum and and still get a cool card that can still be valued, that can still go up if that's your concern. You know, there's a a Jackie 49 Leaf in a one is a $10,000, or at least it was a few months ago. It's not anymore. Um, Still an $8,000 card or whatever, right? So, And that's in a one. So, and what makes that fun, if you're searching for someone else, especially if you're spending someone else's money, it's always fun. But then you're going, okay, knowing these lower grades, there's also a spectrum of eye appeal within that, which could be centering and and color and register, all the different things that go into eye appeal, right? Then you have that spectrum, even if you zero in on a grade, because that's the price point you're looking for, that kind of price point. Then you have, man, I want this to be the best looking three I've ever seen or four or whatever. Um, Let me ask you this. Is it more high end stuff that you're seeing people wanting or is it I want 10 $1,000 cards or I want one $10,000 card just as an example? Well, I think it's like any other financial investor. It's it's what's their individual risk tolerance. Diversification gives a little bit more, uh, I think, comfort uh, versus all in one card. However, uh, when you talk about low populations, if you can afford to put it into a higher grade card of, of one of these players, um, you may have a, a much more solid long-term potential uh, for growth than continued price and value um the the 48 49 jackie i actually did purchase for a client this year and there was a lot of conversations exactly on i appeal versus grade versus cost so we were in a situation um where we had multiple dealers with the same card with the same grade and different i appeal there was also dealers with the same card raw playing the eye appeal game and then you're pricing one versus the other so that does i think when people say they get a little bit intimidated in vintage that's where i think you have to learn um i don't want to say art over science but there is a little bit of art over science uh now i will say that people like pwcc that actually put an aesthetic label on their cards i think will be more of the future I think raw cards with some sort of parameter on them or even graded cards to separate the numbers, I think is one of the big changes of 2022 that we're going to see a lot more of in 2023. That whole concept is annoys the piss out of me, I have to admit. I, I really don't like the idea yeah. of having it be a somebody, some other third party that's already been graded a certain numerical grade by... PSA, SGC, whomever, then somebody else is going to say, well, within the threes, this is like one of the best, you know, at what point to me, you can't take everything away from the collector. Like somebody has got to either 
make a good determination about the grade, the value, the the awesomeness of whatever card, the eye appeal, et cetera, that needs to be, some of it needs to be left in our hands, right? Well, doesn't this go back to buy the card, not the grade that people have been saying forever? So to me, if it happens to be in a slab, you can still buy the card, not the grade. And, and I think that's where people sometimes, you know, get confused where well, PSA says it's a four, so I have to take it as a four. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's totally up to you. You like the card, you like the price, it works. Um, if, if you're buying a card wrong, don't worry about what it's going to grade. If you like the card, you like the price, enjoy it. Um, and I think there's so much pressure from 2021 for everything to be a financial win. Everything has to be ROI. Everything has to be, you know, X plus Y is going to allow me to sell it for Z. And, and vintage just naturally doesn't work like that. It, it really doesn't. When you talked about, you know, a slow, steady line in vintage, yeah, pretty much uh, for a long time. I mean, that's that's what vintage is. It's your mutual fund. Um, and I, I kind of like that aspect of it because you can still, like you said, collect now different portions of vintage. Um, and you can collect, listen, a couple star cards that you want to keep of your favorite players. I'm from Baltimore. So, you know, give me Brooks and Cal and Frank and Johnny Yu. And um, there's nothing wrong with me collecting that and, and you collecting something else. And, and we can still talk about vintage, even if we're in totally different spheres of what we're going after, because I think we appreciate the, the history of the cards themselves, the players, the sport. And I will say, and, and maybe I'm the old man on this, the artistic quality of vintage, um, certainly to a certain point, I think is has not been replicated um, since. Uh, no question with that statement. So we've spent the first half of this show talking about what happened in 2022. Can any of this, can anything that's happened in 20, you know, since the pandemic or maybe even looking back at what it was like pre-pandemic, give us any indication of what's coming next year, the year after. Uh, what say you about that? Uh, first thing is uh, nobody knows the future, so don't Will Greer me in the, you know uh, down the road on this if anybody's watching. Uh, I actually think one of the coolest things about 2023 is I think there's going to be an opportunity to buy great cards that were maybe slabbed by um, non-traditional or newer companies because uh, people were in a rush to, to grade anything. And I think you might actually see a, a depressed value because of the company they were graded with. And I'm looking forward to flipping through and, and you know, <laughs> see who went vintage with, with HGA or, or somebody else. And uh, you'll the price on that will, you know, will probably sell for much lower than, than another company. So I think that's going to be a really cool thing in, in 2023 is getting back to, I think, less grading companies, those grading companies being better, um, more transparent. That's my hope. I, I think it's heading that way. And I think technology in a good way, not a bad way. That being said, um, I don't know that vintage will ever thrive as long as people are, are completely grade dependent. And on top of that, there's no universal registry, which I, you know, is my soapbox. But 
people who collect vintage, like you said, like to collect certain sets, certain players. And if you're not familiar with the PSA registry, you can you can rank, compete, collect, show off, have fun. It's a really cool part of the hobby. So I'd like to see other companies do that. And I think some form of that, uh, whether it's other companies, um, I don't think there will be a universal, but I think you could see other companies start their own registry, um, which would be interesting. Um, and I think you are going to see a lot of vintage hit the market. I think the prices are going to stay pretty consistent, if maybe not down another 3 or 5%. Uh, but I think you're also going to see vintage be one of the first parts of the hobby to, to maybe go up um, near the end of 2023, if I if I were to guess. Yeah, that's all we can do, like you said, is guess. Um, experience plays a lot into this. This isn't our first rodeos with vintage. Uh, I'm from Texas. That's a Texas saying, not my first rodeo. Yeah. Uh, if I ever did a rodeo, it would be my first rodeo because I've never actually done a rodeo. But in I cards, I, I think I'd be the clown. <laughs> in, in vintage, it's this interesting, um, you know, I think you've got the haves and the have nots with vintage. I think you've got a lot of lower end stuff that is going to continue to come down. I don't think you're going to see the same decrease in pricing on a maze rookie, for example, or a mantle rookie or a Hank Aaron rookie, you know, the bigger cards are just always going to be super popular. People are always going to want those lots of times, even if they already have one, cause they'll say, Oh, never a bad time to buy a Hank Aaron rookie. Let me buy another one and I'll hold on to it for a little while and maybe sell it down the road. So I, I just think there's always such a high demand for those keyer, you know, more key cards Key is not a word, so I'll have to say more key cards. And one other point I just wanted to bring up is the lack of transactions on vintage cards versus modern cards, especially newer releases. You, you can't necessarily go off of comps and vintage the same way uh, you can on a high-velocity card that's sold you know, 100 times in the past month. Uh, a lot of times you're looking at only a couple sales a year. So that's something to, to really... Uh, except as a difference in vintage and you have to kind of embrace uh the pricing of vintage with a grain of salt yeah and that just takes time to learn yeah. you know that's, that's part of that experience that i'm talking about you know and what i try to tell people is don't be afraid to make a mistake just learn from that mistake if you make one um, and most likely with vintage it's not going to be a giant mistake i mean you don't you want to look at kind of what they go for and and have some idea but if you pay a couple hundred dollars more for a really nice card, that's a thousand dollars. Are you really going to be that pissed or upset? Probably not. Especially if you're holding on to it for a long time. That's what I tell people. If you're not looking to sell this anytime soon, don't, don't watch the price every day. There, there's just no need. Um, that's not why you bought the card. You know, you should do is look at the card every day. Yeah. Let me kind of finish my, I guess I'm thinking about, where I, the aspect of pricing first for 2023. And again, I think there's going to be the haves and the have nots, the, the cards that definitely see a decrease because it's a Jim caught eighth year card that again, when everything was just going nuts that, you know, everything went nuts and that's just the way it was going on. You're going to have cards that, so I think overall the market's not going to be down a whole lot, but that's overall 
you'll definitely have segments of opportunity within that. And so I would say pick your pick your uh, spots and be careful and just be patient, right? Don't be in a hurry. Uh, cause I think the longer this year goes, as 2023 starts going, we're going to, it's going to get better for buyers as the year goes on. Uh, I think it will only get better. And I would have thought, you know, 2022 was going to be a great buyer's year, buyer's national, for example, at the national, I thought it's going to be a great buyer's market because of some other macro things and just the way the hobby couldn't, was kind of deflating a lot and less demand people getting out of the out of the hobby, et cetera, all through 2022. And I think that's true. I think that pace slows. And so I think popularity remains pretty constant, honestly, through 2023. I think the people that needed to get out that were in over their head or just did it because someone at the water cooler told them to do it. Yep. They've already, they're gone already or they're really close to getting out. So I don't see a whole lot of change in, you know, people being interested in the space, interested in vintage, um, agree or disagree with that idea? Oh, I I agree that vintage is not only not going anywhere, but is going to be kind of the, the, the skeleton of the hobby that keeps it supported for many years. But I will say I do find vintage dealers less, uh, and maybe this is a small sample size, less interested in negotiating Um currently so i wonder when getting back to like you say the experience uh who's been in the hobby for a while um who can ride it out so when you look at prices for 2023 um i wonder if that's not the reason that vintage might stay a little bit more constant is the vintage dealers well a lot of them don't have the pressure to sell right away um a lot of these cards they do sit on you know for a while and, and, and do buy when they buy a lot um I mean, a physical lot, not a bunch. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons that, that it does stay, stay constant and, and modern has those fluctuations. Um, the only way I see vintage being challenged by modern is if something happens in the sports world or Fanatics does something to turn, turn the universe on their side. Um, other, otherwise, I think what you're going to see is more education from the people that have moved into vintage. And I think think you know we said vintage is down roughly three percent it's funny you said that i used a different i use a different index to to track vintage than yours and i have it between three and five percent over the last 12 months consistently so um two different uh systems have it about the same place so i wouldn't surprise me if 2023 is, is relatively similar you know give or take on the margins um but that's fine for vintage I mean, that, that's that's great. I think the idea that there might actually be more cards available, but the prices might not be affected, affected is counterintuitive to economics, but could be true in vintage cards. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've always felt that I, I use the word insulated. The vintage market is pretty insulated from outside forces. And that could be, you know, people ask me, oh, Mike, what do you think? How is Fanatics taking over tops and what? It's all going to happen with that going to affect vintage. And I'm like, not a lot, you know, um, how do you think X, Y, or Z is going to affect? Not a lot. This grading company, that great, you know, vintage is popular because of what it is, not because of what it might be. Does that make that? That's like this kind of, you know, sage wisdom that I'm pouring out right now, but 
vintage is always going to remain popular in the hobby. doesn't mean there aren't, you know, a little bit of ups and downs kind of things. Take advantage of the downs is kind of my mantra to tell people. I, I think we're down. I think if you find a good deal, you should buy the card. Don't I'm not saying wait and don't buy stuff, but uh, if it just doesn't feel right or not quite the right price, you can be, it's okay to be patient, I think, here. You're not going to be, you know, missing out six months from now if you didn't buy it today. Barring it's rare, to, you know, if there's just something super rare, super crazy, that's different. Can I throw a theory at you? Sure. When somebody collected cards uh, in the 70s, they looked at vintage as 40s, 50s, perhaps the generation before. I think we always look at at least one generation before us. Um, like you said, not the guys we saw, maybe the guys before us. Uh, at what point does vintage start creeping into years that we're not familiar with calling vintage? And um, does that change the landscape moving forward? Because for me, I think you're going to start seeing, you know, some of these guys, uh, whether it's, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, a, 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 you know, Jordan's already borderline vintage for his rookie um jeter uh you know these these guys that for a whole nother generation they they might not have really seen play most of their career and we're not we're used to certain years you know pre-80 pre-82 whatever you want to call vintage and i think one of the things that's shifting rapidly is the fact that we are now 40 some years removed from the mid eight you know from the early 80s yeah um and and so now are we looking at players in the 80s who are hall of famers or or whatever it is and we you know thought it was junk wax for so long and maybe now that that's in a whole nother era that, that some of us older guys are going to have to get used to as vintage for some people yeah i think it's first of all i think you're you're right on point and great idea of thinking about cards not as vintage modern or whatever I think it's important to segment them and delineate by era. That's the way you delineate what cards you're talking about. The fact that we call vintage, like you said, the traditional pre-1980 you know, and before or whatever, let's let's define that era. We can call it the golden era or the golden age. Era. Some, some other name other than vintage because like you, the definition of vintage is anything pretty much 30 years old or more, right? So that's kind of the traditional idea of what something a car is a vintage car once it's 30 years old cards baseball cards football cards whatever sports cards we don't do that we don't move the needle every year we don't you know continue to go along the timeline so we all but everybody calls pre-war the pre-war era like there's no question it's called an era that same mantra should apply to or moniker should apply to other eras of cards. And so then you can go, you can start delineating different eras and go, it's just a lot easier to track it and keep, you know, so when I say vintage, I'm thinking 50s, 60s, 70s cards. It's basically what I'm thinking. So you're not, you're not counting pre-war. No, because I I'm pre-war is definitely quote unquote vent. It's over 30 years old. So it, you could think of vintage as this really big thing, right? A, yep. a huge era of a hundred years or whatever it is. And, but within that vintage, anything vintage, you would 
delineate by era. Oh, that's a pre-war card versus a 50s card or whatever. Again, I, I haven't come up with the perfect name for the era that I like the most. And so. Well, I, I but I think when you talk about from a collecting standpoint and you talk about growth moving forward, uh, whatever we call that newer era, I think is going to be a high growth era. Um, I think the, the amount of cards that are perfect tens for some of those years are a lot lower than people realize. Um, in fact, that Frank Thomas error card just went for some ridiculous amount of money because it's a one one PSA 10, uh, the no name on the front. So it, it'll be interesting um, for people who are 40 and under, 50 and under who grew up, you know, watching in, in the 80s and, and now have that disposable income. Are they going to want, you know, the, these rookies, you know, wherever you cut it off, it's Cal Ripken or Wade Boggs or Roger Clemens. And, and you know, the, let me tell you, Bo Jackson, I, I heard more people asking for Bo Jackson this past year. And, you know, he's not your traditional vintage at all. But, what you know, if you start counting years um, well, well into the antique car range. Right. Yeah, I... <laughs> Golly, so many things I want to discuss about that. <laughs> I do think in 2023, the sweet spot for the larger vintage era is going to be 50s and 60s stuff. I think that's the sweet spot because you've got people like me who are about to turn, I'm about to turn 50 next year. And I'm an 80s kid. You get 80s and 90s kids getting older, getting more discretionary income. We grew up collecting cards versus the generation before us that I would say a lower, a, a fewer amount of people collected cards during that era. People did for sure. No question. But more of us collected cards that grew up in the 80s and 90s than people that grew up in the 60s and 50s. Right. So and I think that the pre-war stuff is going to always remain popular. But the reality is there's just not enough of it. There, there's just not enough of Babe Ruth cards and this and that. Whereas the contrast to that is in the 50s and 60s, there's plenty of them to go around. They're definitely more scarce than modern cards or certainly anything from the 80s and 90s, but there's still a lot of it. Meaning even if there's high demand that can be met, you can get your hands on a 53 Bowman color Mickey Mantle if you want one. Yep. Right. They're not scarce. Uh, they are not a 52 tops Mantle is not scarce. There's plenty of them out there. It's can you get the right price, the right condition, the right eye appeal that you're looking for? That's the journey, not can you even find one? And in pre-war, it's a, it's man, I've never even seen this card before. You know, there's just so many things that are so unique and scarce, genuinely scarce. Do you um, count the 70s or early 70s? I think it's a different. Um, I think it's different. I think the 70s was different. Do I count it in the same era as 50s and 60s? Yes. Do I think the demand for 70s cards will go up? Absolutely. 70s and 80s cards, 100%. You didn't have the same name recognition, the same legendary status of players that you did in the 50s. The 50s and 60s was this magical period where you even you had everything from Joe DiMaggio post-war, you know, post-war all the way to, 
you know, at the end of the six, you had Mantle's last card in 1969 tops, and you have Mantle, Mays, Aaron, Koufax, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio. Like I said, there's just there's not names like that in the 70s that don't evoke the same baseball emotions. Well, from a baseball card standpoint, there's also the macro conversation of the rookie card. A lot of these guys might have bled into the 70s, but you're talking about end of the career cards, which are just not as collectible. They're not right. as pricey. Um, and, and so it's really the rookie card is what we're talking about. I mean, th that that will always dominate, I think, any player, any era as the most desirable card. Um, and so you look at who the rookies were in the 70s. And these are guys that have, that if their rookie was in the 70s, their career probably ended in the 80s, you know, or, or the early 90s and weren't even elected to the Hall of Fame until maybe the mid 90s. And that's that's weird to, to think of. Um, but are we are we going to start looking at um, some of these guys? You know, is Eddie Murray ever going to be looked at like some of the other sluggers? No, no. Is that purely numbers, ability, or era? It's dilution. The word I'll use is dilution. You have expansion, so you have way more teams, right? You have baseball expansion. You have football growing in popularity, basketball growing in popularity. So people's attentions, it wasn't like baseball was in the fifties and sixties where it was, there were other sports, no doubt, but it, it was the King and no one else was close. And then that, that shift, right. That paradigm shift throughout sports infiltrated the hobby. And so you never had a name like mantle or Aaron or Mays. No one ever had that sense of largesse within baseball in that period. You have great players, no doubt. All-time great. Mike Schmidt, 73 tops. Carlton Fisk, 72. I'm going through, you know, but 71, you know, Burt Blylevin's rookie. Ted Simmons is that, you know, those names Ted, don't. Ted Simmons does not carry the sex appeal of, uh, of exactly. Roy Campanella. Right. Yeah, you just, it's just different. And, and because of the dilution of people's attention span, people's attention in sports, the, the legends were just never created like they were in this wonderful, it, it was this perfect time of, you know, back, back people coming back from the war, the baby boom, all these kids being born and growing up in that period when baseball was so dominant, it, it almost would have been sad if it didn't flourish the way that it did and didn't explode the way that it did. As those kids grew up, they have started having kids like myself born in 73. I loved baseball, but I also played every sport, you know, and did all yep. kinds of things and cared about other things too. It wasn't that I didn't like baseball the most even, but it wasn't the only thing that, you know, had my attention. I love your comment about breaking vintage into errors because, you know, the more I think about it, the fifties and sixties, are different than the 70s from a collection and value standpoint. Um, and I think, you know, we all agree kind of on pre-war, um, but then that vintage category has always kind of been 48, 49 um, to, to roughly 80. And maybe it shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, may, maybe that was just because of the age of us all, you know, it just kind of like seemed... Like once Dunros and Fleury came along, all right, that's that's kind of a natural break. So we'll just call everything before that vintage, and then we'll head into what was called modern before it became junk wax. 
Um, I wonder if we're not going to look back at the 70s and 80s as more of a combo, like the 50s and 60s go together. Um, because I think you're right. I mean, maybe until Mike Trout, do we go almost that far till we get another real, you know, kind of Mount Rushmore type of name? I mean, you go, you're talking about card wise, that's an extremely long time, which is why you have the value in the original vintage. I mean, this is bring the conversation full circle. What do my clients want? What do people want going forward? They want that, that true scarcity, that true Mount Rushmore, that true history. I mean, they want the, the, the real thing. And uh, Ted Simmons, with all due respect, is not that. And neither, you know, is John Smoltz as much as I love him. Well, even a guy, uh, I'll, I'll use Mike Schmidt uh, as an example of a player from the 70s. Uh, I know you think Brooks Robinson was the greatest third baseman of all time. That's an argument for another day. But a lot of people do think Mike Schmidt is the greatest player of all time. If you went to one of your clients and said, hey, let's go buy a Schmidt rookie. How about George Brett? Or George Brett, even great example. Robin Yount. Um, I mean, you've Paul got Molitor. I mean, you can go Dave through. Winfield. These are great players, you know, yep. that had significant career accomplishments that it just amazingly affected the game. But it's not the same. It's just not. And I hate the term sex appeal, but I use it all the time. There was a, a panache to Mantle. <laughs> there, there, there was a Paul Bunyan-esque to Ruth. You know, a lot of these guys, the, there was a story, there was a mythical, you know, air to them. And then I think the more you get to know a guy in more modern times, the less it is to make them mythical. And that's one of the things why I think you need that separation, why you have to maybe almost not see the player play in your lifetime to look up to them at that level. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I'm, I'm also trying to think of modern players that might be in that Mount Rushmore. Pujols ultimately might end up there in terms of people's perception of him. Maybe. I mean, Griffey, I thought, would, you know, but he, I don't know where he ends up. No, Griffey is certainly up in that, you know, he's in the inner circle of Hall of Famers, in my opinion. I would put Griffey in there. But because uh, we watched him play, I'm going to think about his leg injury his whole life. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, even in Mantle's kind of, uh, it's charmed to his story. I wonder with Griffey if that will, you know, actually end up enhancing his legend like it did Mantle. I think a player that down the road, and I'm talking down the road a decade from now or longer, that's going to be looked back and go, Holy crap, we're going to think about him differently, and that's Barry Bonds. Yeah. It will take some time, uh, but the what he did, you know, I think over time, the stain of what he did and how he did it, both what he did on the field and then how he actually accomplished that, will be, I don't know, just not as important, the well, why. Let me throw another one at you. With vintage players, do you find that we use the traditional uh, statistics? And then when we talk about modern players, we seem to want to use analytics more when we break them down. You know, if you look at Barry Bonds as counting baseball card numbers, um, whatever year you want to pick in his career, whatever you think about him, they'll be good numbers. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, that there's something to be said for that. Um, and then his advanced numbers, you know, th things that, that 
or not home runs are unbelievably good. So I agree with you, but everybody just wants to look at the controversy on home runs. It's like, I almost want to put that number aside because that doesn't define his greatness. You know, that's just one number. Um, And I think he he was a far more well-rounded player for many, many years. All right, last point, and I just thought of this, so I'm going to kind of skip back to something we talked about when I talked about dilution of attention, you know, in the 70s and then certainly into the 80s. Well, also remember what happened in the 80s in the card market. You had a dilution in terms of number of manufacturers. So whereas through the 50s and 60s, excuse me, mid-50s, right, starting in 56, through 1980, there was one card manufacturer, Tops, in yep. baseball. And then you had, uh, in 81, of course, Donerson Fleer. Then you get Score and Upper Deck and all these companies. So the dilution, it's like, well, which, you know, Ryan Sandberg rookie do you want? The Fleer, the Tops, or the Donruss? You know, you have, it wasn't just, no, there's only one. There's Tops. You know, there's only one Hank Aaron card that's the Hank Aaron rookie, Right. Well, you can't say that about the modern guys. No, but isn't it a shame? And this gets back to the, the history of how they sign contracts, but you know, that you don't have Ted Williams every year on tops and you know, missing usuals, and you know, because they had a contract with, with one or the other um, of the companies. And so, I, I don't know which I prefer. I don't know if I want you know, a guy not in one set, but maybe in another, or if I want you know, a players in multiple sets. Um, there's something charming about the vintage, you know, that there's only, only really, you know, one a year for, for, for many years. Um, but, but it is a shame to, as a tops fan, to not have a tops card every year of certain players. What do you think? Yeah, it is weird to not have a 54 or 55 tops mantles, right? It's, it's weird that mutual doesn't appear on tops card until 1958. Yes. All that, all that's true. Uh, but the, I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather have a card than multiples, right? Well, Stan, Stan Musial, we both agree, is a legend. Uh, inner circle, no inner doubt. Circle, without a doubt. Tell me what years Stan Musial cards I can can and cannot buy and explain that's, how that's better for the collector. That That's just my one, you know, well, my yeah. one counter argument where I'd rather have maybe three Ripken rookies. And it's gotten out of control today. I'm not asking for 3,000. Right. But, you know, I don't know that I want to miss Stan Musial if I'm a Musial kid growing up. I mean, I think that had to be sad. Very fair point. Um, yeah, there's plenty of years you don't get any Musial cards. So uh, other than the occasional Red Man or, right. you know, it's then those are regional. So, yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah. Totally and, they your didn't, point. and they didn't do competitive harmonica cards. Um <laughs> But so, there is there is definitely some dilution in the '80s that I think, without a doubt, undervalued or uh, devalued. Just the oh man, I've got a Cal Ripken rookie card again. Tops flared on us, right? He's got three of them. So the fact that Tops had such a name brand and is still the the name in the hobby lends people to gravitate towards the Tops rookies. But I think a lot of those players had great other rookies too. Um, do you do you believe in collectors grade? Uh, you know, meaning a five for the fifties, a six for the sixties. Do you believe in that uh, at all? 
I do. Um, I think it's, I think it's a jumping off point for, for something. I think it's a way to think about it. That's simple. And I don't, I don't think it's the end all be all, you know, kind of thing, but the simple truth is the, the further back you go in time, the more likely it is you're going to find a card equivalent to the grade of the decade. Meaning it's easy to find a lot of sevens in the seventies. It's not as easy to find sevens in the forties. Right. So it's not just talking about value, although that's part of it. It's talking about availability. And so I, the further back you go, the more likely the cards are going to be in let in worse shape. And therefore you just reduce the, the grade you you can probably find most readily, most available and most uh, affordable if you stick with card grade equaling the year. And that's why I call That's why it's called kind of that collector grade. Like, Hey, we can find these, you know, I'm not going to find an eight in a sixties card. Like I will, right. You can, they're just way more expensive than an eight in an eighties card. It's and cheap. the price tends to drop to, uh, excuse me, uh, to shoot up pretty quickly above a collector's grade. Yeah. Um, as the population drops. In fact, one, one of the things that I find fascinating and, and I love the, I love population. I could talk it all day. Um, a Sandy Koufax rookie PSA seven, which, which is pretty high grade for a Koufax rookie has twice the population of a Ripken tops traded 10. So a little bit of apples to oranges, but, but there is, I think still going to be a market for, um, some of these guys and, and maybe cause I grew up loving them, but I think uh, George Brett card, hopefully one day will have the value of an Eddie Matthews, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's never going to be certain guys, but, but I'm hoping that some of these great players um, in the seventies or, or right around that time, because we've seen it with high grade Montana and Walter Payton, like you said, when they, when the country's conscience moved to other sports, and uh, these cards were collected. Their values are, are now up there with some of the baseball players. So it'll be interesting how the baseball players keep up in that era of late 70s. Well, as we finish up here, I it's interesting. I don't, I don't know how much predicting we did for 2023 other than like what am I – I'm thinking what am I leaving you guys with out there? And the reality is I think 2023 is going to be – a, a great year for vintage, a great year to buy vintage if that's what your thing is. Um, so be looking for opportunities would be kind of what I'd leave you with. What would be your final thoughts, Danny? Don't be afraid to buy roll. I think uh, that, that right now graded is a lot harder to negotiate and uh, you know, don't be afraid to, to buy raw and please, please, please go to shows and see cards in person guys. Um, not, not every card I know is that's possible, but there's nothing like picking up a card in your hand. Um, and I think that's going to be kind of the key for 2023 is just find some cool raw cards and get, and get them while you can. I do see the almost, you know, people just going against vintage or going against grading. That's probably a fair point to a certain degree. Yeah. And saying, Oh, I'm going back to raw, you know? Uh, and there's plenty of raw vintage out there, raw 50s and 60s, 70s stuff. So enjoy the hobby, guys. Figure it out. Uh, we'll try to – this show will keep doing vintage stuff in 2023, I promise. And, Danny, before we let you go, uh, first of all, I appreciate you being on the show. Tell everybody where they can – if they want to hear more of your you know, genius, 
where they can go do that? Uh, you can find me at Sports Bolt, and then I'll have a link to everything. But I do write for a press box magazine and just launched uh, Card Menches, a new show talking a, a little bit of a sports talk, sports betting, and of course the hobby. Uh, but you can find me, I guess, on Hobby Hotline or talking to Mike on the phone a couple times a week. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. And thanks to everybody out there. I hope you all have a merry, merry Christmas great new year i will be not doing an episode last week of december but we'll catch up with you guys early in 2023 thanks for listening thanks for watching we'll talk to you soon keep collecting